Detroit, Washington from KTBS3, and we welcome you to the Education Checkup. We look forward to sharing the positives and the challenges of our local schools. We will talk with education leaders, teachers, and community leaders, letting our community know what is happening and talking about ideas to share between schools and our community. We will have new episodes every Monday. You can find KTBS Education Checkup wherever you listen to podcasts. So let me introduce to you my co-host, Dr. Philip Roseman. I have really enjoyed talking with you and learning about your pathway to the American dream, which had a lot to do with education. So tell me about that passion. And it's a passion that you have been steadfast to for the past 25 years, to be exact. Yes. Well, my parents from the beginning uh, let us know that we were going to work hard in school. Uh, and that was the opportunity, the, uh, their opportunity to, to advance. And it's been the same for me. It's the same for my children. Uh, it's the same for, I believe, my grandchildren. Uh, it's an education is an opportunity producer. I, um, over about 10 or 15 years into my career, I began to realize that some of the things that we did in healthcare and education were very, very similar. And I had uh, started a performance improvement effort at Willis Knight years ago. Uh, and I realized that some of the things I had learned there might be helpful in looking at school improvement. And so I became involved in reading, trying to learn all I could about education and education improvement and bring it back uh, to our community. Um, the reason that these two things, healthcare and education, are together is because they deal with people, individual people with individual concerns. And there's variability in each one of those steps. Um, and uh, it's why I got uh, involved with efforts uh, to education. Um, it's important. Uh, it is the driver of the economy. It is opportunity for individual people. I think this sh video cast is an idea uh, that helps share some of the positive things that are happening in our community and also shares between schools. I expect that people be able to look at this and maybe see some principal who's doing this at their school that they may want to incorporate in their own. There's no better thing than sharing best practices. Uh, and that's part of what I think we're going to do here. But Troy, today is uh, a highlight day for us in a video cast to have uh, the Louisiana School Superintendent, um, uh, Cade Brumley. Uh, Cade, look, I've known you for a long time. Um, from your days, first days in Caddo Parish as a, as a history teacher at J.S. Clark's uh, Middle School, uh, which by the way must, must have been interesting teaching history to middle schoolers. Uh, and um, then you graduate progression through the ranks of administration to become the superintendent of schools uh, in DeSoto Parish at a very young age. Um, and then watching as the scores and the performance of the school district in DeSoto uh, became one of the highest performing districts in the state, uh, which led the people in South Louisiana to look up here in North Louisiana and say, hey, you know, we've got an opening in the largest school district in the state, which is Jefferson Parish, which is more of an urban and suburban district. Um, and you went there and were successful there. I think Bessie saw that and said, man, this, this guy knows what he's doing. Uh, and uh, they asked you to become the Louisiana School Superintendent, and you dropped into that right before COVID, 
Uh, so uh, you just got barely into it before all, all that occurred. Uh, but um, when people ask me about you, I tell them these are the things that I know about caves. The first thing is that you're a common sense leader. You're not off in the clouds in some kind of ideologue. Um, uh, you know, you're uh, a person who's a turnaround agent. You've experienced in what you've done. Uh, and you concentrate on the most important things. I still remember in the chamber when you said, you know, I'm coming to DeSoto and we're doing three things. We're going to do early childhood education. We're going to get quality teachers and advance those teachers. Uh, and we're going to do something about the connection between school and career. Sure enough, you did it. Uh, and then you went to Jefferson and you did the same thing. And I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen here in your probably long tenure uh, as a uh, school superintendent, unless you decide to come back to us uh, anytime uh, for then <laughs> here in North Louisiana. But I just want to say that was an incredible introduction. <laughs> he did you justice, I right? Know. I, I, don't, I don't deserve it, but especially coming from Dr. Roseman, who is just uh, so well known uh, for not just his professional practice, but what he does on the side of, of trying to do education reform uh, and, and what it has meant to this community um, and the way that he pushes all of us to consistently be better. You know, he, I, I've heard him speak about the American dream uh, and I too believe that the American dream uh, does exist. But for, for me as a very young student, like a first grader, I knew that like my standard of life that I wanted, I mean, he's in a first grader, like, and, and the type of life that I wanted and the way that I wanted to contribute was dependent on me being able to get an education. And so then once I selected this as a career, I knew, okay, now I have an obligation and responsibility to make that available and successful for, for as many people as I possibly can. And you know, education has been overcomplicated um, in too many ways for too long. Um, and we're just trying to simplify it as much as possible. You know, go, go back to the basics on teaching a kid how to read. Don't complicate it. Teach phonics. Teach them how to read. You know, think about um, what are the jobs that are available whenever people get out of high school. And then what education do they need for those jobs? Do they need a college degree? Maybe, maybe not. Do they need technical training? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but we need to provide in a very streamlined way access to what's next for a child. So if someone graduates on May 15th, I believe on May 16th, they need to be ready to do that next thing. Whether it's go into a high wage job, or whether it's go into college with a level of preparation, or whether it's going to service. And we have to be more deliberate in those connections. One of the things that are complicating, at least in people's minds, and I know ferreting through that took me a while to unpack it all, is the difference in the different areas of between the federal government and education, the state government and education, the local school district and education. And this is becoming even more an issue as parents become more and more involved in, in education issues in their communities. Can you kind of simplify it a little bit with us about what the federal government's place is, what the state's place is in the school district, and how we can optimize that? Well, you, you said something I, I can't miss first. and You said parent. Uh, and so we've tried to do everything that we can do to, to empower the parent in decision making. You know, the government doesn't own the child. You know, parents and guardians and family members, you know, they're responsible for their children. And, and so the, the more that we can do to empower families, I think the better off we're going to be. Uh, even as a, a school principal, I found that 
if I had someone at home, someone, and I, and I didn't designate what that, that someone would be, but if there was someone at home that, that cared for that child and could communicate with that school every day, we could, we could almost always have success in educating that child. And so that's what we truly need. We, we need that home uh, school commitment where we all have to work together. Um, but back to your question, you know, I, I fundamentally believe like education is a local enterprise. D decisions around education are, are best made when local community members and parents and teachers are making those decisions on the best interest of the kids. Now, I say that as, as the guy whose job is state, state policy and, 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 and <laughs> oversight uh, in many ways. Um, and there's a, there's a role for us to play too. Um, so, so for us, I mean, I, I try as much as possible to use the pulpit that I have to lean in on uh, and direct resources and direct time and conversation around things that I think are important, whether it's um, early care and education or teaching kids to read or transforming high schools that we have to do, um, elevating the teaching profession, making sure that every family has options on the, the school that makes sense for them. So I, I use my time to direct resource and policy and um, influence to promote those things. And then, then you also have the, the, the federal level that provides more than anything financial support uh, in areas such as um, nutrition for kids every day or uh, serving students with exceptionalities um, with additional dollars. And so we, we have to make sure we're in compliance with federal laws and local systems have to make sure they're in compliance with state laws. But for me, the, the, the more decisions that can be made at that classroom level with teachers and parents and principals and kids, the better off we're all going to be. Let me ask you this. I think you said a little bit about transforming and I just go to that idea of transforming. Transforming elementary school, transforming middle school, transforming high school. Uh, you talked about transforming high school. Let's start back at elementary and say, uh, Dr. Brumley, you know, what do we do to transform elementary school? What, would, what do we need to do to transform elementary school as a vision in our community? Well, I mean, I think for one, I go back to parents. We, you know, if, a, if, a, if we can uh, embrace that family very early on and, and not uh, create barriers to the schools for families, but fully embrace families, uh, I think we're, we're more likely to be partners for a long time. And, and you have to take deliberate action to do that. And that's complicated. But I think we have to do that. And then we, you know, go back to the basics and teaching kids to read. I've said it a thousand times, but I think Literacy it's really important. important. We, I mean, if, if a child is not on grade level by the end of third grade and their ability to read, they're three or four times more likely to be a high school dropout. Uh, high school dropouts are more likely to be in, in, in prison. Eighty percent of prisoners in America don't have a high school degree. Mm -hmm. that, that doesn't start after high school and that doesn't start as a sophomore in high school. It starts very early. In elementary school. In elementary school. And, and so we, we have, and, and what I mean by that is we have to make sure our kids can read. If you, if you look over the last 10 years or decade plus, in 2011 on the national reading test NAEP, 55% of Louisiana's fourth graders were at or above basic on reading. 55%. That was 2011. If you look at 2019, the, the last number like pre-pandemic, the number was 55%. So o over a, essentially a decade, we flatlined. And I think it's because we, we have taken for granted that kids are just going to learn to read. And sadly, not every kid does, unless you're strategic in how you do that. And so that's what we're trying to do. But also I think like math is the language of science. 
and we we have to make sure that we are creating those numeracy cultures in our elementary schools so that kids understand that that math isn't just some abstract thing you know it, it, it leads to something else whether it's logic or better understanding as you well know doc the the, the, the sciences and so we, we have to make sure those those like foundational elements um, and not crazy ideologies but just foundational elements are embedded in, in our elementary schools so it sounds like it starts in elementary but all of these different levels they're different it requires something different of the teachers of the parents even and how you guys connect in order to make sure that students are successful at all levels but specifically starting in elementary when literacy is, is so important and they'll carry that with them the rest of their journey That's right. yeah. Let's go to middle school. <laughs> you started in middle school. I, I tell people I, the most humbling experience I ever had was to be a Sunday school teacher for eighth grade boys. So that was very humbling for me. You know, it's a different age, different time. What about transforming med middle schools? What can we do in middle schools to make them a real useful time of education? So, so I hope no one takes this out of context and runs with it, but the, the whole idea of putting a, a thousand kids going through pre-puberty together at one place like at the same time, <laughs> it's crazy, right? <laughs> and, 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 I, and I say that, uh, or, or, or through puberty, I, I, I say that as someone who started my career as a middle school teacher. It, it, God bless middle school teachers. Yeah. They, are, they are challenged every single day. But it, it's complicated there because you're like you're trying to bridge two things together. You're trying to bridge like these elementary years that are that are fundamental and foundational versus uh, the sophistication that needs to exist at a high school in preparation for what's next. And and middle school kids they they're, they're not adults and they're not kids, and so you're trying to sort out all of the dynamics uh, around that. But what what I have found to work in middle schools, and I can I can show you data to support it, is if we approach our middle school classrooms in the way that we approached our elementary school classrooms, we're going to get better results with middle school kids. But but do that in this and at the same time be thinking about what are some early level opportunities for them to explore careers. So treat them in many ways like you would treat an elementary classroom, but have exposure to college and career so that they're already thinking about what their high school experience should look like. Is that why sometimes I see these K-8 schools do so well a lot of times on the test and all that sort of thing? It's, it's the kind of connecting up the K through five idea with the middle school child and keeping it for a while. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of K-12 schools yeah. when you have the, the child there for the in, entire existence of their educational career. But certainly K-8 makes a lot of sense because you're able to, to better understand the child, the whole child, everything about the child. You're, you're better understand what those family connections are like and how to interact with that family. Uh, and that, that child is usually comfortable because they've been in the same place for a long period of time and you're eliminating transitions. And so I, I do think that, that those models um, are, are effective. Um, but I understand logistics and school systems don't always allow for it. I mean, I understand the realities behind that. Um, but to, to me, the longer that we can have our, our children in, in sustainable, sustained settings, the, be the better off we are. And that, that even goes to teachers. You know, I think about what this idea of looping holds for, for a kid. If a kid can have the same uh, teacher for maybe two years, 
and that first grade class loops up with the same teacher to be second graders. And so you've got the same 20 kids together for a period of two years. I think that holds a lot of promise for us as well as we think about moving forward. Let's talk about one of those things that uh, you talked about at the chamber uh, that you were instigating in DeSoto and I think did also in Jefferson, the kind of school career connection. So uh, beyond the years of, of beyond drop, uh, dropouts and talking about that, we talk about people who graduate and, and where we go as far as school career connections. Not everybody is going to want to go to a four-year university or can go to a four-year university. And there are certainly a lot of really good jobs out there that don't require all that education. But uh, talk to us a little bit about how you see schools and career connections. Well, the, the function of a high school to me has to be very different than the function of an elementary school. Uh, an elementary school, you're, you're teaching kids how to read, you're teaching kids basic math. At that high school level, to me, you're thinking about how can we be deliberate in the connection between childhood and what's next and how can we be deliberate in, in, in adjusting from one season to the next season. I really think about three areas. I think about um, individuals who want to go into service, whether that's religious service or military service, how can they have just a base set of skills to prepare them for that. Uh, I think about uh, individuals who want to go into, into a college setting and if, if that is the case, I think that we should be offering those, those students some level of college opportunity in high school just to form that like, basic connection. Maybe that's dual enrollment coursework, maybe that's AP coursework, but going ahead and, and setting that mindset of, within those students of this is what a college level experience looks like and we're going to further connect you with a college or university so that you know where you might be headed next. And then the third thing where you know it's it's the tougher push uh, that we're trying to make is around vocational crafts, skill crafts, career and technical education. I, I think our education system has done a really poor job and disservice to our communities over the last few decades of even telling you, you, you have to go to college, you have to go to college. Not everybody wants to go to college, not everybody should go to college, it's not necessary. Um, but you, you can't say you're not going to college and then have a vacuum of there's nothing else. And so for us, that's like our fast forward initiative that we've implemented which allows school systems to rethink junior and senior year where they can give on-job experiences for high school credit and kids can, can go and be an apprentice in, in a trade or you can get a credential. And I think we have to do more of that moving forward, but even in things such as accountability systems, uh, we have to make sure that schools are um, rewarded for doing that difficult work for a, a student. There's a lot of logistics behind how do, we, how do we get an apprenticeship for a kid with the local electrical association. There's a lot of school logistics behind that for a 17-year-old, but we have to make sure that those things are incentivized. Let me ask you something. This gets in, in a different uh, uh, direction a little bit, but um, recently um, uh, Louisiana set up a set of new social studies standards. Um, it came with applause and no applause. It was, uh, uh, you know, uh, in different sectors. Uh, tell us a little bit about why why you do the standards. Why 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 do we do standards? And and what does that process? How does that process work? And how does that help as it relates to 
educating our kids? So a standard, first of all, a standard is, is what, a, what a child is supposed to know or be able to do as a result of teaching. So it says by, by the end of this year, the, the student will be able to do this thing. And so um, like an analogy for this is a standard might say uh, the child by the end of the year has to run a 5K. And so the state of Louisiana, our job as policymakers, would, we would have made the decision that by the end of the year, the kid hypothetically would have to run a 5K race. Now, what we don't do is say local school system, this is the way in which you have to make sure this kid runs a 5K. So locals get to make their own determinations on, on the process of how to get there. And so we knew for social studies that we had a problem. We talk a lot about reading, we talk a lot about math, but truly the lowest level of proficiency in our state is in social studies, history, civics, economics, and geography. And Doc, I'll tell you, across the country, only 12% of students are at mastery level on U.S. history when they graduate. 12%. That, that's, that should be alarming to everyone for, for what that means. And so we, we wanted to do our part to make corrections on that in the state of Louisiana. And so we wanted to develop new standards that told um, the story of our country and our state in a, in a coherent way, chronological way. And the whole story. And we wanted to tell the whole story, which is why we also were like very intentional in having multiple voices included and multiple experiences from every demographic. Um, and then we wanted to add rigor to those standards, not have weak standards, but really strong standards that uh, set a higher expectation of what we wanted for our kids in the state of Louisiana around geography and civics and, and U.S. history and economics. Social studies was my favorite subject, so yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little, it's interesting to kind of hear the numbers and that, you know, maybe other children aren't really tapping into it, but good that we have those standards in place right here in the state to kind of get that under control because it is important to know your history and to understand the full story. Absolutely. Well, I, I think we might have a third host here. We got to keep him. Yeah, alive, absolutely. Right? Let me ask you one more thing and we'll, uh, uh, in talking about this, about the challenges. And we talked about a lot of that today. Uh, but just to sum it up, what do you see as the key challenges looking forward um, in Louisiana uh, to our future in education? Well, I think it's, for one, setting a higher expectation. Um, we, we just, we can't settle for where we are and we have to challenge every area to make sure that we're doing the best that we can do in every single area. And that, that means setting a higher expectation. It, it, it's not okay in our state that less than half the kids are kindergarten ready on the first day of school, knowing their numbers and knowing you know sounds. It, it's not okay that less than half of our kids are reading on grade level. It's, it's not okay that like 6% of kids are graduating high school with advanced credential. And so I'm a native Louisiana guy uh, I want nothing more than for us to be successful. I want nothing more than, than for the rest of the country to say, hey, look what, what, what they've been able to do. But not because we all need that applause, but it's because our kids need that and our state needs that. And so I just want to be a part of adding value to that. And I think it starts with setting higher expectations for what we need to see. Dr. Brumley, I learned a lot, as I always do when I sit and listen uh, uh, to you speak and and to simplify the thing for me to understand it better. And Troy, this has been a great opportunity. It and has. Well, thank you so much for having me. My yeah. takeaway, set that bar high and then we'll exceed it, right? <laughs> right. We got it. Well, thanks for taking part with us and talking with us today. We will have new episodes 
every Monday, and you can find KTBS Education Checkup wherever you listen to podcasts.